in the third message in the series called Rise to the Challenge, and each week I've started it this way. Uh, not this way. I, <laughs> yes, this way. And then I went to what was right behind that. There we go. Life is a never-ending series of challenges from birth to death. This is true of you, it's true of me, it's true of everybody that's ever lived on the planet. Sometimes we choose the challenges and sometimes the challenges choose us. Sometimes we choose, I want to learn a new skill, I want to learn a language, I want to learn an instrument or something, I want to run a marathon. But other times, life hits us with things, and we can't decide if we want this challenge or not. We can only decide, will it crush us or will we rise to it? And then finally this. Unless we rise to the God-given challenges, we unnecessarily forfeit the God-given opportunities they bring challenges whether the ones we choose or the ones that choose us they bring opportunities and primarily they bring opportunities for us to be stretched for us to be uh, developed for our dependence and our trust on God to grow for us to become the people that God always intended us to become and to do the things that he intended us to do the challenges open those doors for us now today we we have a little bit of a uncomfortable subject we've looked in past weeks so far we said that there's a couple challenges that you, you and I can't choose they choose us we said that the first challenges was the world and we said it's a system of thought and behavior conduct values it seeks to compress us it seeks, seeks to uh, uh, kind of mold us and shape us and then last week we looked at a at another challenge that we can't choose it comes from the inside we call it the flesh the bible calls it that it's that old way of thinking and doing things before we put our trust in christ and become his followers today we're going to look at a third challenge that we can't cho choose it chooses us but it's a little bit difficult to introduce it um, bear with me i'm going to just play a little clip for you And that's what does puzzle us, uh, the nature of his game. And today's title, Rise to the Challenge of the Devil. I don't have any choice about this, and neither do you. I can choose to say, well, I don't, I don't believe there is such a being as the devil, as Satan, as Lucifer, whatever term you want to use. I, I could choose to think that, but that wouldn't change anything. I could choose to think that gravity doesn't exist, but it just makes me a fool. So... We're going to meet this personage today because this personage absolutely challenges us in this life. And let me go further. You and I that sit here today, we are likely to experience this particular being, a real being, to challenge us in unprecedented ways, in ways that he's never challenged individuals before in all of human history. And God has you here today, believe it or not, because he absolutely wants you to hear this information, this truth. This may be the only time you get to hear which you're going to hear today about the challenge that this being called the devil has for us up the road. So let's ask this question starting off. What is it? What are we up against? Uh, the song said, you know, what, what's your game? What is behind it? I mean, when you think of, you know, we, we know that there's serial killers. We know that there's mass destruction and wars and things like that. And we ask ourselves, what, what's behind that? Well, behind all of that, the Bible says, the Scripture says, it is a personage. Now, that song that the Rolling Stones were singing, and by the way, in 1968 when that came out, it started all kinds of discussion that they were devil worshipers and all that sort of thing. They're just harmless dupes for the devil, like most of us have been or still are, perhaps. But they were uh, not devil worshipers. But what the song was really about, if you listen to the words, and the words are pretty interesting, it assigns a number of atrocities through human history. It, it assigns like the communist takeover of Russia and the slaughtering of the Tsar's family 
to Satan, but he found human beings more than willing to carry it out. He goes on in the song to talk about World War II, the blitzkrieg of the Germans. But again, Satan found more than willing people to carry out his will. He talks about in the song the assassination of the Kennedys, but once again. So because what the song was really about is that, yes, there is this evil personage that's capable of carrying out the most extraordinary atrocities we can imagine. But this being has always found human beings more than willing to help him in his endeavor to flesh out, as it were, the desires of his heart. Now, we want to understand a little bit about the history, the past of this being. So let's look at some scripture from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 28. Speaking of this individual, we call Satan, the devil, Lucifer. You were entirely what? So this being, when God created this being, this angel, this angelic being, this extraterrestrial being, he was pure, he was perfect. There, there was no causative element from God. You were entirely pure from the day you were created until wickedness crept in. This being, like you and I, had free will and chose to use it in the wrong way until wickedness crept in and was found in you. Your heart swelled with what? pride because of your beauty and your hunger for fame your thirst for glory corrupted your wisdom so this is a being that was way back we don't know how far back could have been millions of years back these extraterrestrial angelic races and species were created way before the human race the bible is clear about that but we don't know how long so this being was in the presence of the very God, the almighty creator of the universe in a perfect environment, face to face with God and yet was capable of having dark thoughts. And what these dark thoughts were was he started feeling like since he was privileged, evidently he had a high rank and he deserved more, well, he wanted more glory. He wanted more power. When he, when he saw God walk into a room and every head turned to hear what the Lord had to say, he thought to himself, man, that's where it's at. I want that. I want that kind of power. He didn't realize that God was just there to bless and serve those he created. He saw it as control over those he created. And so he thirsted for it. It goes on to describe him further in the book of Isaiah. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Stars are sometimes used for angels. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north, I will climb to the highest heavens and be, what does it say? Be what? Like the most high. You got, got to take that in. This is a created being, a finite being, who is dependent upon his very existence for the eternal, infinite creator. But he decides in his heart, I want to be equal with him. I, I want to be like God. I want to be self-creating. I, I want to control things. I want to be in charge. And so this was the start of this uh, animosity between this being that we now know as the adversary, the devil, and God. Now, I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. It's going to be very unpleasant, but I don't think you're going to be able to understand what's going on if I don't do this. Um, You've got to understand, that this, this is a being, you're going to learn later on in this passage, you might as well learn, or message, you might as well learn now, who is absolutely your enemy. You have a being that hates you. you you have a being that will use every means that he possibly can to deceive you to destroy you and to destroy everybody you love to understand the kind of hatred that this being has and why just because he wanted to be equal with God just because he wanted to share God's glory and fame or that's the way he envisioned it God doesn't feel that way about it but I'm going to take you on a dark journey. Imagine this. Imagine you own some property in Texas. You're, you're right on the border. And so one of these drug lords comes across and comes to your house and says, I want to build a tunnel from Mexico to your house. I want to bring goods in on your territory. And I'm telling you, this is what I want. Now, you can, you can work with me, and you'll get paid well. But if you don't work with me, you're going to pay a price. And the price is going to be this. I'm going to kill you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but, but before I kill you, and you think long about what I'm about to say, before I kill you, 
I'm going to take everybody that you know that loves you, everybody in your family, even your most distant cousin, and I'm going to bring them one by one in front of you while you are tied and bound, and I am going to make you watch as I torture and kill every single one of them. And then when all of them are destroyed, I'll then torture you and kill you does that make your decision a little easier now now why would i tell a dark story like that in church because it's hard for you and i to understand this being this being so hates god that the way that he can torture god the way that he can hurt god the way that he can wound god is to take you and i those that god loves and make god watch as he destroys us deceives us ruins us pits us against one another in the most savage ways but god is forced to watch this he can't strike directly at god but he can strike at god directly through you and through me by hurting you just like you would be hurt if you had to watch one of your loved ones tortured and killed so this entity is that evil you've got to let this sink in we're dealing with something that's that's pretty much almost beyond our comprehension we can kind of understand war crimes and we can kind of understand mass murders to some degree but but this being is beyond so you have to tuck that away in his quest to be equal with god he now is trying to strike god with as much pain so when he hurts you and hurts those you love he's seeking not directly you although he doesn't care at all about you he's seeking to hurt god now i'm going to say something i said earlier it doesn't matter what you think or what i think it doesn't matter what i believe or what you believe because this entity is real this entity is true and if you have the slightest understanding of human history it's pretty easy to see that there's something there's something incomprehensibly evil behind what goes on daily in this world of ours and what is going on historically in this world of ours the book of first john goes on to say more about this being it says for we know that we are the children of god he's talking to those who have made the decision and i hope i'm describing you now those that have made the decision to put their trust in christ and become his followers the bible teaches clearly that is how one becomes a christian when you and i make the decision to put our trust in christ the creator of the universe the one that loves us with a sacrificial love demonstrating when he went to the cross to give us the opportunity to be reconciled to god when we put our trust in christ and make the decision to become his followers the bible declares god forgives all of our sins and he gives us the gift of everlasting life in his kingdom we're just as sure of eternal life as though we had been in his kingdom for ten thousand years once you and i make that decision to put our trust in christ and become his follower and by the way we're all following somebody we're either following our own desires and whims or we're following christ our creator so if you have not made the decision to put your trust in christ and become his follower you can do that this day and it'll be the start of a new life so when it says we know that we are the children of god he's writing to those that have put their trust in christ and become his followers but now he's going to contrast those that are christians he says and that the whole world is under the control of who the evil one now this this is really massive to to take in it's saying that when we watch the decisions that are made on political levels and judicial levels and the behavior of human beings every day that for the most part without us even knowing it we are under his spell under his control now don't get me wrong this doesn't mean that the christians are that was the differentiating point in this the christians we because we trust christ we are following him when he says don't do something we don't do it when he says stop something we stop it when he says learn something we learn it when he says incorporate a certain virtue or characteristic we do it we are those that are walking with our creator but the rest of the world is just kind of doing it as as it goes we're just kind of trying to see what works what gives us some joy what gives us some pleasure what feels good what, what's everybody else doing what are the most people believing in and that's the way the world works and in that condition they're under the control of this being now we are called we that are followers of christ to do this we're to take our stand it says in ephesians 6 11 we're to take our stand against the devil's schemes that that word in the greek it's strategies the devil has he has strategies that he carries out the way he controls the world and the people in it it kind of has a has a pattern 
first of all he deceives us now a deception can be something as simple as he makes us believe what is wrong is right he makes us believe something that's um, not valuable at all is very valuable he has lots of ways to deceive us he makes us believe that the bible's not true that heaven's not real that it doesn't matter what you think about god you just kind of make up your own idea about god nobody can tell you about god it's not like there's one real true god he has all kinds of ways to deceive us the next thing he does is he distracts us. He, get us so, he gets us so occupied with something in life. We've got to build that house. We've got to get that career. We've got to get the new furniture. We've got to get the, you know, the kids to college. We've got to get them out of college. We've got to get them a job. And we just, we just take our entire life wrapped up with doing, doing, doing until we realize, oh, shoot, that's my heart attacking me. My game is over. And so he keeps us distracted from knowing who we are, why we were here, what we were supposed to be doing, the kind of developmental journey we were meant to be on, the kind of things we were meant to be learning and doing. He just keeps us distracted until the last beat of our heart. The other thing he does is he brings us into a state of disorientation. I, I said it just a minute ago. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how we were designed to live. We don't know the meaning of life. We don't know why life in this world is so full of conflict. We, we don't understand where it's all going. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know if there's life after death. We don't know what the, God, what the Bible or God says about these things. So we're disoriented. We, we just go through life kind of confused. We're just kind of rolling with the next set of circumstances. And then along the way, we get desensitization. Because we are doing things that are contrary to the way God designed us, and we don't even know it a lot of times. In other words, we're doing things that are not right, not the way God designed us. It damages us. It damages our faculties, our moral faculties in particular. We get where it's harder and harder for us to discern what is right and what is wrong. We, we live in kind of a blurry fog, and we're incapable of appreciating the things that God wanted us to enjoy like like love and peace and righteousness and goodness and generosity and kindness and compassion those things matter less to us and other things start mattering more and that brings us to debilitation a lot of times we get where a habit that we developed without even trying to in life it suddenly controls our whole life our whole life starts revolving around it we become addicted and then that ultimately leads to destruction. It can be mental, emotional, physical destruction, relational destruction, vocational destruction, you name it. Even massive nations colliding with each other, destruction. So Satan usually is quite comfortable with this cycle because it really works well. It works well on the vast majority of us as human beings. And so he can stay behind the scenes. He can stay quite hidden and we don't even know what's happening we're, we're just kind of going through life and we're just living we're just dealing with the things we have to deal with but the bible teaches that there is a time coming and i said at the beginning of this message i'm going to say it again this may be the last time you'll ever have anybody tell you what i'm going to tell you today there is a time coming and the likelihood is you and i are going to live to see it where Lucifer, the devil, Satan, his, his tactics are about to change dramatically. And we are more than likely going to live to see it. Some generation is certainly going to live to see it. And there's every indication from Bible prophecy that you and I will live to see this change in his tactics that are about to take place, in my opinion. So here we have it in Revelation 12. And by the way, this has not happened yet. This is yet to come. When this happens, it's only about three and a half years before Christ himself returns to earth. So it says, and the great dragon, this is just another name for Satan, and the great dragon was thrown down, that age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, he who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels, what does it say? We're thrown down with him. This has not happened. This, this, this is physically real. This is going to happen in real time, real space. The devil himself and his angels, the scripture indicates that one-third of the angelic population civilization joined with Satan in this rebellion. Evidently, Satan's pitch was, you know, God, you say we're free. You say you love us, but we're only free to do your will. What kind of freedom is that? And the rest of the angels bought into it, evidently, one-third of them. 
They've been doing a lot of horrific things behind the scenes, and God has permitted. He's allowing evil for a little while so that he can destroy it forever. But a time in human history, a time is coming when the real devil and his angels are going to be physically forced down to this earth. And whoever's on the earth at that time are going to see these entities, encounter these entities, and have to deal with these entities, whether we like it or don't like it, believe in it or don't believe it. But when they come, when they come down, let me tell you what they're not going to do. They're not going to be like this. Satan's not going to step up and say, yep, that's me. I'm Satan, and this is my hell's angels with me. We're here to take it over. It's not the way it's going to work. Not the way it's going to work. Before I read you the other verses that go with this passage, I'm going to tell you the way that it's likely to work. When this passage occurs, like I said, it's about three and a half years before Jesus returns. The earth is in a condition that you and I would not recognize. The earth is in a condition that for about three and a half years, there's been multitudes of significant wars. There are pandemics. There is famine. There have been two asteroid type of experiences that have devastated one-third of all the green life on earth and one-third of the sea life has been dead between one quarter and one half of the earth's population has been killed off by these things massive tectonic activity massive earthquakes massive volcanic activity with these asteroid strikes with these wars the the supply chains devastated so that a quarter to a half of the population, let me just get, that's between two and four billion people are dead in a very short period of time. And the rest of the planet, the four billion or so that are left, are in desperation because it's hard to get food. It's hard to get water. It's hard to make it by day to day. That's the conditions of earth when this passage takes place. It is then that the devil and his angels arrive on planet earth. Now, whether they arrive in vehicles or whether they just appear, we'll have to wait and see. But when they appear, they don't say, hey, we're here, I'm the devil, and here's my angels. No, 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 no. What Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 23 and 24, it said there's going to be suddenly the appearance of many false Christs, many false messiahs. And they are going to be miracle workers of the exact same type that Jesus did. Jesus says there's going to be the sudden appearance of the planet of these beings that can do all the miracles that he himself did remember jesus could heal any disease with a thought or a touch jesus could take a little bit of bread and fish and he could multiply it and feed five thousand people uh, he could speak a word and still a storm he could raise people back from the dead resuscitate them he could walk on water jesus made clear that at this troubled time in human history there's going to be the sudden appearance of these false christs that are going to be able to do all the miracles that he did so here's what I suggest we're going to be facing. All of a sudden, when we're desperate, man, we don't know if we're going to survive. Half the world, quarter to half the world population is gone. Um, sea life, one-third of sea life dead. One-third of the greenery on the planet dead. Famines, pestilence, everything you can imagine. These entities are going to show up, and they're going to say, hey, we're, we are here to rescue you and save you. You don't know us, but we've always known you. We are, we are those that have put you on this planet and here's the good news your creator the real god the real almighty creator he is here with us we are his servants he has sent us out to bring healing and to bring restoration and he himself is soon going to reveal himself to you in jerusalem this is what they're going to say and they're going to do mass healings the same kind jesus did they're going to they're going to take us when we're desperate and we're needy and we're sick and we're starving and they're going to feed us and they're going to clothe us and they're going to heal us and probably more than likely just by touching them we we will feel encouraged and cheered and uh, emotionally perhaps euphoric and they will say we are the servants of the living God and we are here to rescue you we know you're going through a really bad time on this planet and we're back now to restore sanity and to, to bring you together in a way you've never been brought together before we're, we're going to make you one brotherhood one world one government 
and we're going to supply everyone's needs. No one's ever going to be in danger again. Nobody's ever going to do without again. We also, though, need your absolute loyalty. Now you know the truth. You know that all other religious expressions on earth were just fantasy, just fragments of the truth. Now you know the truth. Your real creator is back. He's going to show himself in Jerusalem shortly. We're his servants, and so you must be willing to put your absolute loyalty in the true God, the true creator. You must take his mark so that you can receive what you need physically when you need food, when you need water. If you take his mark, if you're part of this, this new economic system, then your needs will be forever met. We're here to save you. And there's one last thing they'll say. Now, we need you to unify. We, we can no longer tolerate any disunity because you see how bad things are on the planet. And there's a little bit of worse news. There's another group of extraterrestrials. There's another group of angelic civilizations. And they're coming for you guys. They want your planet. Now, we're here. Your creator is back. He's here to protect you. But you're going to have to unite and fight if you want to keep your planet. We'll make it if we all stick together. So you've got to give your absolute loyalty to your creator, who's soon going to reveal himself in Jerusalem, and to his new government where there'll be no more division, but we'll be one brotherhood of mankind. That's the pitch these entities are going to make, and it's going to be very compelling because they are going to do the same kind of miracles that we've never seen before on this planet except for when Jesus was here. So here's the rest of the passage. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in the presence of God. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you in great, what does it say? That means great anger. Great anger. Why? Why is he so angry? Knowing that he has only, what does it say? A short time remaining. When this happens, when he and his angels are forced down, there's only three and a half years left before Christ returns, the real Christ, the real creator, and sets up his kingdom. Now let me read you the rest of this, verse 17. So the dragon, who we now know as Satan, the devil, so the dragon went off to wage war on those who keep and obey the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus holding firmly to it and bearing witness to him. Let this sink in. So when the dragon, Lucifer, the devil, is forced down to earth, he goes off to wage war on those that keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, who do you think that is? Did you hear me say earlier in this message that how one becomes a Christian is we make the decision to put our trust in Christ and become his follower, and that's how one becomes a Christian. And a Christian, you can always, you can always pick them out because a Christian is literally walking with God when God says in his word don't do something they stop it when God says in his word learn something do it they do it they keep the commandments of God and they hold to the testimony of Jesus when he comes down when he's forced down when he and his angels are forced down they know they've got just three and a half years left and they're going to do scorched earth particularly on those that follow Christ if you read the book of Revelation verse 13 you'll read about it says this entity goes into war and conquers the people of God meaning physically not spiritually necessarily you say Randy man that's some gloom and doom man I wish I'd have stayed home today <laughs> you may never hear this again folks you really really need to hear it I I'm going to ask a question it's going to sound a little stupid of course a lot of things I say sound a little stupid don't they so like you ladies, you, you have babies. And you know good and well, it's going to hurt like crazy when you give birth. But still, you, you do it. And so it occurs to me that to get the courage that you need to go through childbirth, it occurs to me there's only a couple ways that I, I can figure out that you get this courage. Now, now, one way is, is once you know that you're pregnant, maybe for the next, every day for nine months, you just think about it, man, it's going to hurt so bad that it might, it might take my life. So I'm going to get ready. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it every day. I'm going to think about the pain, and I'm going, to, I'm going to build myself up and get ready to fight the pain for nine months. I'm just curious. How many of you ladies, that's how you got the courage to give childbirth. That's what you did. You thought about the pain every day for nine months. Can I see your hands? Okay, one lady did. <laughs> 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 the 
The other way, it occurs to me that you may have gotten the courage, is you say, yes, giving birth is going to be painful, but it's worth it. And I am not going to think about the pain until I have to. Can I see the hands of the ladies? That was the way you got your courage. Oh, yeah, almost every lady. Tuck that away because that will be really important later in this message. Just tuck that away. Tuck that away because I know some of the things that I've said to you already are uncomfortable and perhaps even are arousing some feelings of fear. So let's go a little further. Revelation 12, so there, excuse me. Uh, how can we overcome because the scripture calls us not to be those that are overcome but those that overcome even this last push of this real entity called the devil to to do as much hurt to God by hurting his people as he possibly can so let's go to Revelation 12 again and it's talking in the same passage says, and they meaning those that have trust in Christ and are his followers they overcame and conquered him because now there's three things here that the overcomers this is when Satan is, is giving a full court press unprecedented pressure on those that belong to God they overcame number one because of the blood of the lamb what is that talking about we'll, we'll get there and because of the word of their testimony for they did not love their life and renounce their what their faith even when faced with death all right what does it mean they overcame by the blood of the lamb it means this that the christians then now future because we are so stricken by the love that god has for us that was revealed when christ the creator of the universe went to the cross sacrificially died for us to let us know that we can trust him we can count on him he's for us he loves us he came offering forgiveness he came offering eternal life it's that sacrificial death of christ that tells us my god is good he's always good i can trust him in every circumstance you can't shake my trust in him i don't care what you do to me i don't care what befalls me he has proven his sacrificial love for me on the cross that's what it means the blood of the lamb that gives me an interior strength that is sufficient to push back on whatever pressure comes from the outside that's what it means by they overcame by the blood of the lamb they're convinced in the goodness of god secondly the word of their testimony what is that talking about these christians that overcome refuse to be silenced though the pressure will be enormous though the danger will be enormous i can't hide that from you they refuse to be silenced now we need to stop right now and say you know am i as a christian am i one of those silent christians I mean, do I, do I hesitate to ever share my trust in Christ with someone else? Do I hesitate to speak with someone about spiritual matters? Do I hesitate to invite someone to church? Am I one of those silent Christians? You know, I just kind of go along to get along. I keep my faith private because I'm telling you, if you're keeping your faith private, you are not a Christian that the Bible recognizes. It says we are called to be witnesses. Do you know what that word witness means in Greek? It says in, you know, Acts chapter 1-8 that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That word is the word for martyr. <laughs> it's the Greek word martyria. We are called to be those that, if necessary, will lay down our lives before we will ever stop reaching out to others, telling them the truth about God, the truth about life, as it centers and is revealed in Christ. We won't be silenced. We will speak the truth in love. I hope I just described you, and if I don't, I hope I've prompted you to gain some boldness. It says they overcame by the blood of the land and by the word of their testimony. They would not be silenced. And they did not love their life and renounce their faith, even when faced with death. When that, when that governmental structure is set up, when Satan and his angels come down, they're saying, look, we all have to receive this mark. We all have to become part of the new world government. There's not going to be a bunch of different governments. That's what caused so many wars. We're here to save you guys from wars. We're going to all unite. But you've got to give your absolute loyalty to the true creator who's going to reveal himself to you in Jerusalem eventually is what they're going to say but that means you must renounce 
you must renounce all loyalty to every other religious affiliation or you will be considered dangerous terrorists and you'll have to be either imprisoned or eliminated so that the new government can come to full fruition. That's the way this thing is going to work out. So that means I'm going to have to stick to my loyalty to Christ even though I may be threatened with prison or I may be threatened with death because the Bible says that is what is going to happen. Let's go on. Revelation 2, Jesus talking to one of the churches, talking to we as Christians today. He says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you where? In prison to do what? To test you. Will you stay loyal to Christ now? Now that it's really costing something? And you will suffer, what is the word? Now he says for 10 days, whether that's symbolic or whether that particular church, we don't know. But the point of persecution, he's saying that here's God, here's Jesus talking, saying, I'm going to allow this to happen. But now he gives this counsel. Be faithful even to the point of what? Death. And I will give you life as your what? Your victor's crown. So here's Jesus. He's not shrinking back. He's telling his followers, he's saying, look, you're, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown in jail, and some of you are going to die. Don't you be afraid. Be faithful to death, and I'll give you the victor's crown of life. Jesus rose from the grave. He has brought immortality to light. We know that death is not the end. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, it says, For the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, Philippians 1, 23, the apostle Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. The millisecond that our spirit and soul leaves our body, we're in the presence of God. So technically speaking, you're, you're somewhat indestructible as a Christian. Sure, your body can be destroyed, but not your spirit, not your soul. We have the assurance that we go immediately to be with the Lord. Now, I'm going to share something with you. The stages of persecution historically that we've watched in societies and how they ratchet up. It starts usually with stereotyping a target group. You know, like we're, we're kind of labeled a bunch of Bible thumpers, you know. Um, vilifying the targeted group for alleged crimes or misconduct. Maybe you hear things like, oh, well, they're haters, those Christians. They're racist or, you know, they're against women's, women's rights or things like that. Marginalizing the targeted group's role in society. We don't want people like that working here. If you espouse that kind of devotion to some god i don't know that you're going to fit in real well here four criminalizing the target group or its works this is where for example hate speech keep your eye on hate speech because it's already happening in europe it's already happening in canada it's just a question before it comes here what do you mean hate speech well if you call somebody by the wrong pronoun you could be brought up on hate speech grounds not yet but it's likely coming. And then finally, persecuting the targeted group outright. You start losing jobs. You start losing privileges. You start going to jail or maybe even worse. Now, historically, this is the pattern that it's taken. Now, I, I want to I open your eyes to something because you're like me. You're an American. We're in the West. We don't hear these statistics. We don't hear these news reports. And we can hardly believe that this is actually happening. What I'm going to show you, I guarantee you some of you are going to say, I don't believe that. But I'm going to show you because these are hard trustworthy statistics here we go historical persecution statistics more than 70 million christians have been martyred that means put to death in the course of history more than half were martyred in the 20th century under communist and fascist governments in the 21st century roughly 100,000 to 160,000 christians that's now the 21st century were killed each year you don't hear about that on the news though it's all kept out of the, the Western press. Roughly 1,093,000 Christians were martyred worldwide between 2000 and 2010. Real people, real lives, real families, they're put to death simply because they're Christians. This is reality. Let me show you this. Each month, each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith each month, right now. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed right now, each month. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages. 
This is happening right now. Let me show you the nations that are the most um, villainous in this regard. North Korea, number one, worst to Christians. Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, Eritrea. You know what all, the, all those have in common? Anybody know? They're all Islamic except for North Korea. They're just atheistic communists. This is happening. If you or if I were living in one of these places instead of living here, you or I could be undergoing this right now. Real people. This is happening right now in our world. I say this to emphasize that having difficulties as Christians is normative and it has been throughout history. In the first the first 300 years of Christianity, there were 10 massive persecutions by the Roman Empire where they killed massive numbers of Christians. You know, took them to the, the Colosseum as sports events and lit them on fire and let, uh, let lions eat them and things like that. Let me go to this next, slide, this next passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober, sober mind. Your enemy, it doesn't matter if I care about having an enemy or want an enemy or you want an enemy, you've got an enemy. One of the worst things about being in junior high school, man, when you were in junior high school back where I went, occasionally you're just going about your way and then when word gets out, this actually happened to me. Hey, man, Marty Teresa's after you, man. I'm like, what? <laughs> Marty Teresa's after you. This went on for weeks. Marty Teresa's after you. I'm like, I don't even know. So I finally found out who Marty Teresa was. He's a big, tall, gangly guy. I'm like, oh, my goodness, man. I'm a little teeny dude. And Marty Teresa's after you. I had an enemy. I, hadn't, I had never met the guy. I, all I know is he wanted to kick my butt. That was it. I had an enemy, whether I wanted an enemy or not. I won't tell you how it ends. I'll just go on with the story. <laughs> Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? He's looking. It doesn't matter if we care, don't want to believe it. He's looking, and the more vulnerable. Now, here's the part we have a hard time understanding. The more vulnerable we are, the more aggressive he will be. So resist him. How? How, how do you resist the devil? Do you, do you yell at him, oh, devil, be gone. In the name of Jesus, I command you, be gone, devil. No, you're just making a fool of yourself if you do that. You resist him by standing firm in the faith. My trust in Christ will not be shaken. My loyalty to Christ, my obedience to the word of God, my determination to tell others the truth about God and about life will not be silenced. I will continue to live for Christ. I will continue to share Christ with as many as I can. I will continue faithful to the word of God no matter what the rest of society does. That's what it means by standing firm in the faith. Why else should we stand firm in the faith? Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of, what is the word? Sufferings. So here we're reminded that this, this hardship of being a Christ follower is normative. It was, it was in the first century. By the way, what was the background of 1 Peter? Nero had burnt Rome and three-quarters of the people in Rome, a city of a million people, were without housing, and they were mad as hornets. And so Nero decides he needs to blame it on somebody, so he blamed it on the Christians. And the first Christian purge took place when this book was being written. And Peter, the writer of the book, within months of the writing himself, was arrested by Nero, crucified upside down, tradition says. And a few months later, the apostle Paul was also arrested and had his head cut off for being faithful to Christ. So Christians have always suffered. We've lived in this unusual time where it's been almost cheered to be a Christian, but that's changing, and you know it, and we all know it is changing. 2 Timothy says this, Gently instruct those who do what? Oppose the truth. We're, we're still to talk to them. We're not to be silenced. We're, we're to still instruct those that oppose the truth, they're antagonistic, but we're to do it gently, with humility, with, with caution, with wisdom, with tact. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the what? The devil's trap. People don't even know they're being governed by the devil. For they have been held captive by him, meaning the devil, to do whatever he wants. When, when I think this way, when I think, you know what, man, 
this is my life, and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, as much as I want to do it. When I think that way, <laughs> the devil laughs and says, my man, we are one. We are one. Satan has always been able to easily hold the masses of humanity captive because we think the same way he thinks. We want to be like God. We want to call the shots. We, we feel like we're... We're better off. My life's going to be way happier, man, if I do things my way than let some God restrict me and take away my freedom and tell me you can do this and you can't do that. Or could it be that this God loves us, knows what's best, wants what's best, and desperately wants to give us the, the highest quality of life possible but cannot give us that life apart from himself and apart from his will? That, that's the real truth and he died sacrificially on a cross to prove how much he loves us and wants our highest good I'm going to give I'm going to get ready to close now I'm going to share a quote it's rather long you're going to have to be patient I'm just curious how many in this room have ever heard of a lady named Corey Ten Boom can I see your hands okay lots of us in this room she was a World War II survivor. She was in Ravensbrück concentration death camp both her and her sister they were in there because their family, the Ten Boom family, was hiding Jews uh, when Hitler was going around arresting Jews and, of course, taking them by the train loads to these, these terrible death camps. And her family was trying to hide the Jews. She was a Christian, a fully devoted follower of Christ. Listen to her words. Let them sink in to the best you can. There are some among us teaching there will be no tribulation, that the Christians will be able to escape all this, these are the false teachers that Jesus was warning us to expect in the latter days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I read you those statistics a minute ago. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry, before the tribulation comes, you will be translated or raptured then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. She goes on. Later, I heard a bishop from China say, sadly, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. And then this. I feel I have a divine mandate to go and tell the people of this world that it is possible, it is possible to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in training for the tribulation, but more than 60% of the body of Christ across the world has already entered into, tri into tribulation. Not the great tribulation, but into tribulation, persecution. There is no way to, what does she say? Escape it. We are next there's coming a time when loyalty to Christ will mean I can't you can't we can't escape it now I asked earlier a silly question to you ladies I said you know when you knew you were pregnant and you knew it was going to be painful how did you get your courage did you, did you think about it every day and think about it and build yourself up and you all said, no, what we did is we waited until it happened, and then we found the courage to go through it. This is what I'm trying to lead you up to. Do not be afraid. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. We, we are meant to be encouraged because you are the people, in my opinion. You are the people of destiny. There's one generation that's going to see the return of Christ. There's one generation that's going to do valiant, bold works for God in the last days when it's really, really hard to do it. And it's my heart's desire and belief that that you will be those that shine like stars, the way Daniel says, who turn many to righteousness, it says in Daniel's 12, Daniel 12, toward that end time. Do not be afraid because if you live to see it, God will give you the courage you need when you need it, not before. So don't ponder on it, don't worry, don't become fearful, don't become scared, don't have bad nightmares. But consider that you might be people of destiny that God has called together for such a time as this. I'm convinced you are. This has been on my heart for so many years. 
And I've never made it as specifically clear as what I have just this Sunday. Let me go back to Revelation 12. And we get ready to close. And they overcame. I want you all to be overcomers. They overcame and they conquered him because of the blood of the Lamb. We know Christ loves us. He's for us. He's with us. He'll never leave us and forsake us. And because of the word of their testimony, determined now, I'm never going to be silenced again. I'm never going to be scared again to talk to somebody about their relationship with Christ. I'm never going to be afraid to speak up. I'm never going to be afraid to invite somebody to church. Never again. And they did not love their life and renounce their faith even when faced with death you make up your mind now do to me whatever you want to do i will never i will never turn away from christ i need to know that that's in me you need to know that that's in you but the courage that we'll need in those crisis moments it won't be given to us now you'll be scared perhaps now as as humans are none of us wants difficulties but we'll have that courage when and if we face it. So let me, let, me, let me kind of wrap this up. Three statements. Resolute trust in Christ. We overcome when our trust in Christ is unshakable. Secondly, relentless communication for Christ. We will not be silent again. No more silence. No more let society intimidate us. Speak the truth in love. And then finally this realistic expectations yes we might suffer and so have all of our brothers and sisters through history in one way or another suffered so be it if that's what we are called to but don't hide ourselves in some fool's bubble thinking that God is never going to allow anything difficult to befall us because he loves us quite the opposite because he loves us he is going to allow difficulties to befall us and the great reward the greatest of rewards may be is that we may be that generation that when the devil and his angels come down with great wrath we will be those that stand when everybody else is caving in yeah. man I thank you so much for your heart uh, yeah Thank you. <laughs> Folks, I want you to know something, and I'll close really quickly. This is not just another message. I, I have felt this for so many years, and particularly even now. I know God's giving you a relevant word. Tuck it away. Meditate on it. Take it to heart. You'll be blessed that you did so. Let, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are a God that prepares your people and strengthens us and gives us courage. And thank you that we may be people of destiny called for this time, called to be your last witnesses. May we do so with great boldness, great tact, great love in our hearts. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.